The Wellwise White Paper as an audio series. Understanding Workplace Wellbeing 2.0, a strategically integrated approach and how to master it. Episode 3, a case study from SAP and why workplace wellbeing strategies are falling short. A case study from SAP, Integrated Wellbeing in Action, Understanding the Value of Wellbeing Investment. German company SAP has invested significant resources in measuring the full range of returns on the air investment in workplace wellbeing. Since 2009, SAP has worked with various partners to develop the SAP Business Health Culture Index, BHCI, which measures the general cultural conditions that enable employees to stay healthy and balanced, covering questions concerning how employees rate their personal well-being and the working conditions at SAP, including our leadership culture. Following the first phase of development of the BHCI, SAP worked with an external consultant to identify the correlation between the BHCI and the non-financial indicators of employee engagement, employee retention and CO2 emissions, and also operating profit, with impressive results. The SAP integrated report shows that the company's wellbeing efforts have improved its BHCI, with each 1% change in the index delivering 90 to 100 million euros of impact on their operating profit. Why well-being strategies fall short. Despite their best intentions and endeavors, many well-being program leaders feel their initiatives end up falling short of the long-term outcomes they hope to achieve. Achieving sustainable, genuine improvements in workplace well-being can feel like an impossible task. Workplace well-being practitioners We often see energetic and passionate well-being professionals with big dreams for a better world and for inspiring positive change in their workplace, left to lead well-being efforts single-handedly. They may find themselves unable to achieve what they and their organisations had hoped and often struggle to fully understand why. In many cases, well-being professionals may be motivated but inexperienced junior officers trying to wade through a wealth of complex and confusing materials on the topic of well-being. Relying almost solely on personal well-being or wellness guidance in a workplace environment which, whilst related, is not usually directly applicable. Moreover, without senior support, it may be difficult for these junior employees to identify or influence the strategic levers that can be used to improve workplace well-being. When compounded by sceptical leadership with low expectations for the organisation's well-being efforts or a lack of understanding around well-being as a contributor to the bottom line, well-being practitioners may grapple to develop effective measurement strategies that help them to prove the value being gained. This makes it difficult to identify areas ripe for improvement and means that they are essentially flying blind. Alternatively, responsibility for well-being may sit as part of a human resources department rather than integrated across the organisation. In both scenarios, these employees may come up with good interventions and ideas, 
but find it is difficult to achieve the buy-in, action and commitment from every leader, department and manager who are critical to achieving the real change necessary. This is often because this level of buy-in is understood to be optional and not part of their job. A further outcome of this type of situation is that wellbeing practitioners are unable to demonstrate to employees that wellbeing is supported across the organisation. This leads inevitably to engagement, participation and communications breakdowns which wellbeing professionals and HR departments will battle to overcome alone. It is a demotivating experience and enthusiasm naturally wanes. Furthermore, there is frequently little opportunity for discussions around well-being at the strategic level and no authority to influence policy changes or spend budget without layers of middle management to penetrate. Similarly, these employees may find it difficult to address entrenched cultural issues such as leavism and presenteeism, which require policies from the top, behaviours and incentives driven at the senior level. The result is that efforts to improve well-being become burdensome. The problem with programs. A common structural weakness is that well-being is often designed as an add-on framework or program that focuses only on the health and well-being of individual employees, rather than an integrated strategy that directly aligns to the company objectives with the purpose of improving the overall health and well-being of the organisation as a whole. Such programmes often comprise of a range of off-the-shelf solutions guided by consultants who tend to have a specialist subject focus, such as nutrition, financial management or counselling. Building a holistic approach is expensive and fragmented. Furthermore, this programmatic approach fails to be embedded into the heart of the organisation or become a vital component of the culture. Instead, it feels outsourced, disconnected and therefore tangential to employees' primary work goals. This add-on approach to well-being is also likely to make it difficult or impossible to collect and analyse data that provides the insights needed to increase participation and commitment at all levels or to prove contribution to the bottom line. Therefore, whilst individual activities, events and interventions might be successful in their own right, it will be difficult to deliver lasting change if they are not part of a sustained and carefully planned strategy, which in turn will, lead, uh, which in turn will achieve continuous improvements and gains for the organisation in line with its strategic and financial objectives. When all of the above are combined, the result is likely to be that the value of well-being as a performance enabler is often dismissed before organisations have even begun to explore its full strategic potential. Challenges for leaders Certainly, leaders can feel overwhelmed. Yet this is not to say that leaders are not supportive of workplace well-being. Indeed, most senior leaders understand its importance very acutely. However, it can be difficult to know where to start. A survey of CEOs in the USA highlights this issue, finding that almost all of the executives cite workplace well-being as one of their main concerns. Many even call it their top priority. The CEOs are very aware of the pressure their employees face 
but do not feel they have clear methods to tackle the issues or even a stable means of investigating and measuring workplace mental health or well-being. In an environment where senior leaders face unprecedented levels of scrutiny, responsibility and such a vast array of challenges, making the decision to invest in and prioritise well-being at all levels of the organisation may feel like a leap of faith. This is exacerbated by the confusing array of evidence around investment and the best way to approach well-being, as well as a lack of experienced well-being talent available to hire. This pertains especially to practitioners at the more senior level who are more likely to have the analytical capability to blend solutions that simultaneously tackle both individual and organisational wellbeing challenges. It is probably unsurprising that the Chief Wellbeing Officer, CWO, is becoming an increasingly familiar option for the C-suite team. In addition, it can be difficult to go against the grain of long-held beliefs about performance at work. In many industries and professions, cultural norms consider well-being as separate from performance. This is evident when we admire others for exceptional achievements because they are always on. Challenging this paradigm can feel like a bold move, even though there may be an awareness that some organisations have begun to change their approach to well-being and are reaping numerous results. Linked to the issue of balancing priorities and the pressure to perform is resilience. Senior leaders are increasingly aware of the importance of investing in their physical and mental well-being as a means of supporting their own resilience. However, there is often a perception that pressure exists mainly at the top of an organisation and so the importance of employee resilience is generally overlooked. With payroll costs forming such a huge part of organisational expenditure, it makes sense to optimise employee performance by developing employees who are thriving and able to perform to their best in an organisation that has systematically tackled the very factors that undermine their ability to achieve this. This approach will ensure that talent budgets are yielding the highest possible returns. The beauty of approaching well-being as an investment in performance rather than as an expense is that it fosters a natural human instinct to want to achieve and contribute, and so enabling this to happen is beneficial for both organisational and individual employee well-being. Despite what many have come to think, these workplace well-being challenges are not impossible to solve. Far from it. There has never been a better time to tackle them. There is a growing knowledge base around workplace well-being and lots of academic and practitioner insight that can be drawn on. It is also possible to improve workplace well-being using a building blocks approach and for organisations to achieve genuine, lasting improvements in workplace well-being no matter at what stage their workplace well-being strategy is at today. Moreover, to remain relevant and optimised, the strategy will need to be monitored, tweaked, updated and realigned to the situation internally and externally as it changes.